I'm Kim Singletary. And I'm Rich Collins with Biz New Orleans Magazine. Welcome to Biz Talks. Each week, we reach beyond the pages of Biz New Orleans Magazine to bring you in-depth conversations with members of the business community. From the names everyone knows to the ones destined to make their mark, we'll dive into the top issues, best practices, successes, and failures of every industry that calls Southeast Louisiana home. Welcome to this week's episode of Biz Talks. Uh, I'm Kim Singletary. I'm the managing editor of Biz New Orleans Magazine. And um, today we're talking about uh, virtual reality. Um, BP, Exxon, Kentucky Fried Chicken, Hilton, Walmart, Bank of America, uh, multiple prestigious hospitals, luxury car makers, uh, police and emergency departments, they all have one thing in common, and that's that they use virtual reality technology to train their employees. Uh, virtual, virtual reality or computer generated imagery is uh, was something that was created to be immersive and interactive, and it's been synonymous with gaming for a long time now, but it didn't start out that way. Uh, the first version of AR VR headset was actually created in 1968. Uh, four years later, in 72, uh, GE created its first flight simulator to help train people, um, and that was 15 years before the, the first term of virtual reality was even coined. Uh, two years later, in 1989, NASA got into VR, and then in the early 90s, that's when companies like Sega and Nintendo got into virtual reality, um, and you got things like the Oculus Rift headset and headsets from Google and Samsung. Um, but as technology has progressed and gotten cheaper, my guest today says that VR and AR is quickly jumping out of the realm of gaming and revolutionizing workforce training. Dan Clifton is the founder and creative director of Top Right Corner, and it's a local company that specializes in helping other companies take advantage of all the possibilities of extended reality. Thank you for joining me, Dan. Thank you so much. That was a great intro to the subject matter, and you've clearly uh, done a ton of homework in that space. <laughs> I could not have said it better myself. The first five minutes of my pitch. Well, you can um, steal it. I'll give you. I'll give you the script. You can steal it if you want. <laughs> that's a really good. That's a really good script. I think. Uh, you know, it's funny we talk about virtual reality, but really, I think we're going to get into this overarching umbrella term of extended reality. Yeah, because so I think. What is that? So you talk, we talk about people know like virtual reality. We've done the headsets and stuff, even like the Van Gogh exhibit that just came through here had those headsets. Oh, there's my coworker. Um, <laughs> but, um, and augmented reality, it's not as clear. Um, but what, so what's extended reality? Yeah, so I think, you know, Top Right Corner, to take a step back, Top Right Corner is an extended reality company that uses video game engines to create different solutions for companies. And extended reality or XR is really an umbrella term that includes virtual reality, which is immersive in headsets, augmented reality, which means putting something over, like overlaying content over your, net, your normal world. And then there's mixed reality, which people argue about what it actually means because it sort of combines the two of those two things. Uh, MR is using augmented reality but in a way that's more interactive and is more tactile uh, and more versatile than traditional augmented reality, which might be tablet-based. And so those terms together sort of make up XR. And the reason why we call it XR is that we might go to a company or they might come to us 
And they might say, you know, for this situation, we think we want to do virtual reality. So it's completely contained within a headset. But after we look at what their problem and the solution we want to find for them, uh, it, it might very well be an augmented reality solution. And so with Top Right Corner, we really call ourselves an extended reality company because we don't want to pigeonhole, pigeonhole ourselves into one solution necessarily. Okay, so let's back up for just a second. So you're not from New Orleans. So what brought you here and when did you form Top Right Corner? Yeah, so Top Right Corner was formed in New York. I, I was living in New York City in, I guess, in 2007. And I was directing and I was creating a lot of short form content and commercials in New York. And then the financial crash happened in 2008. And that sort of ended. And meanwhile, I moved to Los Angeles and I was heavily involved in, in feature filmmaking, which I am today as well. And from there, I came to New Orleans because I was making a film in 2012. And I was producing a film in 2012. And I ended up making a few more films there. And then I decided to try this whole, but at the time I called it remote work, but it soon turned into full-time uh, work because I bought a house in New Orleans uh, in early 2017. And that's really when I moved everything I was doing. And it actually coincides with when I fully transformed Top Right Corner into a game engine and a game studio in 2017. So both those things really happened simultaneously when I moved to New Orleans full time. So when you were in here in, in 2017, um, we're not, you know, we're not super known as a, as a tech place yet, but did you see kind of the beginnings of that or that, that that was going on pretty well and that did that help draw you? And then I know we have tax credits and stuff too, so. Well, I was making films and I was looking to be somewhere. I lived in New York for five years. I lived in LA for 10 years and I was sort of looking to just to be somewhere else. And I wanted, I just wanted to be in New Orleans in general. And so I was drawn mainly by on the film side, but then as I got down here, there was a bunch of companies and the city and the state really helped put some people together. And I realized I just made my first virtual reality game, which was actually a tie-in for a film I was doing. Uh, and so I just done that in, in 2016, 2017. And I actually was able to meet a lot of people. And I soon realized that there was a bunch of other companies. It wasn't a ton, but there was a bunch of other companies that were really ahead of the game here. And I soon realized that the infrastructure was way more than I thought. And then, you know, fast forward several years later and, and after COVID and everything else, it's really interesting to see what those companies have done because they've all grown um, in, in different ways, you know, since I sort of met them in 2017. Um, so were you able to, find what you needed as far as personnel, people for your company, because we do have some gaming stuff <laughs> going on, coworker. You're all good. Um, you know, at first it was interesting. At first I was subcontracting and I was partnering with companies that were already here because Top Right Corner was really myself and two others. And then over time, uh, yes, I've, I've been able to hire, um, you know, roughly 14 people. We've actually worked with maybe 25 different contractors over the past three years uh, on a project to project basis, but we have a team of, of uh, you know, just over a dozen full-time people now. And a lot of those people actually started with other companies. 
some of them started with in exile or started with turbo squid um you know other companies that were in the new orleans tech sphere and so i like to say that i was able to you know almost as a smaller fish at the time sort of float in the slipstream of some of those larger companies and so because that infrastructure was there i was able to grow pretty quickly um you know with people who had worked in the space before instead of having to bring in people who had never uh, lived in the state or worked in the state before. So that was super helpful. Okay, so one, I have to ask you, what is, where'd the name come from? Why top right corner? Yeah, people ask this a lot and it really depends. Some people say, oh, I'm a big, a big soccer fan or I'm big this. It's, it's interesting because some people, people think it's sort of a, like you're aiming for the corner of the net analogy, but really, it's more of an existential, ethereal, uh, conceptual idea of, it's really about growth and about advancement. So if you look at a chart or if you look at sort of a graph of where you wanna be over time, you wanna be in that top right corner. Like you wanna be always, always moving uh, forward and always moving onward and upward. Ah, got it. Okay, well, so on that, tell me what you guys do for companies. How does this, you're, you're really focused on using this gaming technology um, in a different way. Yeah, so, you know, to be honest, we do create original games. We did create an original game called The Atlas Mystery, which is a virtual reality escape room that we debuted in April on, it's available for purchase on Steam um, for Oculus Quest. And that is a straight, um, it's a, 1940s neo-noir uh sort of murder mystery escape room game that takes place in an old uh art art yeah art deco movie theater so that kind of combined a lot of you know my sort of knowledge and love for classic films with the vr medium um so we do make original games but i think outside of that really it's about finding uh it's about finding solutions for companies where they basically come to us and say, we have something that's very expensive or it's very dangerous or the access point to that piece of equipment is very, is very hard to, to get. It's very rare to have access. And we want people to have more tactile and tangible experiences with that dangerous site, that hard to access site or very expensive site. I find that it's not worth creating a module of virtual reality to have someone learn how to turn a valve, but it is extremely helpful to put them in a dangerous situation and have environmental stimuli and to have programmable sort of crisis situations happen where they can kind of figure out uh, what valve to turn in what order if they were ever to be put in those situations, uh, if that makes sense. Okay, so I'm thinking like so offshore ports. Um, what what kind of clients? Yeah, so yeah, definitely. So like basically, the first people that we worked with were um, you know we were part of the LED Fast Start program, which is I think it's been voted the best workforce development program thirteen years in a row now. Oh. So we can't we can only claim maybe. <laughs> a year and a half of a year and a half of it the last two years um but we've been a part of that program and and that program pairs local developers and local groups with larger companies 
And so that's really how we got started and sort of grew over the past two years was being a part of that program. And a number of other companies in the area have been as well. But yeah, we started making stuff uh, for ExxonMobil and Baton Rouge and a bunch of other groups where you know, you're looking at something where you're building what we call a digital twin of that space, which is an exact model of that area. And it's usually something that is very dangerous or very expensive. Um, and so you want to train people and put people through through the paces in a virtual environment. So that's really how all that started. So they're just using a headset like we see? Yeah, it, in different different projects have different deliverables, but yeah, usually a headset and controllers, and they can be dropped into that space directly in the one in a one to one environment. That's really cool. So, how long does it take? I'm, I'm assuming it depends on how complicated the project is, but you meet with people, and then you do you just go out and you kind of see for yourself what you're looking at, and then take pictures. Like, how does that work? Yeah, so it works in several different ways. Uh, to begin with, a lot of this stuff, if it's very expensive and very big and very dangerous, usually to begin with, it was designed using a CAT model or it was designed you know, using computer-aided design or architectural design. And so a lot of times we're able to take those models and they're not often video game ready. They exist for architecture, but not necessarily optimized for, for VR. And then our very talented art team breaks them down and creates models that are completely accurate, but are more ready for video game environments. And so that's sort of the first part is we actually take those models to do that. Then we do site visits and we go through and we take videos and we take, uh, we can even take a LIDAR scan, which is a laser scan uh, of the area for measurements. We take photo references for texture. But in some cases, especially during COVID, there were some environments that we actually built just using reference and measurements and laser measurements and, and the models where I'd actually never been to the site until we were finished with the project. And so there's one that I actually went out to after we'd finished the project and I was able to almost uh, you know shut down the entire side of the plant. Not that we actually did that, but I was able to kind of walk through and know how to do that because we had done so much work uh, in VR on this, that it sort of felt like such a second nature when I actually went out to the job site for the first time. So you sent me a, a little example, and it's it's a, a digital twin, like you said, of the Vucre of our you know French Quarter. How would something like that work? It, it, it says that it, it could bring in revenue. Yeah, so this is more of a personal project, right? So this is not. We do certain projects are work for hire. Certain projects are our own IP. And this definitely falls into that second category. And uh, as someone who owns uh, owns a home in the French Quarter, uh, I really want to preserve it for as long as possible. And so that's really where the idea for that came from: was how can we use a digital twin to uh, to preserve something that's over three hundred years old? And for that project, you know, we have our prototype that we're launching this fall. And our goal with that project is to build out an entire one-to-one -one replica down to the paint, down to, I think we joked about it. It won't have smell-o-vision in VR. So people will miss out on that aspect of the French Quarter. You have to pay for that. Yeah, that's an add-on for sure. <laughs> But no, our goal with that is to build it out. And then, you know, there's a lot of, I use the M word, there's a lot of metaverse talk uh, these days. 
but the idea is that you'd be able to bring people into this uh, this French Quarter metaverse, and you know, really how that would create revenue is once you're in there. I want to bring in local artists and musicians, and I want to bring in local culture bearers, and actually have people from all around the world um, be able to to tip them virtually and to buy things virtually in this environment because. Uh, I don't believe that tourism um, and other, you know, visiting sites like that is zero sum. I think it's additive. And I think there's millions of people around the world who could spend time and money in a virtual New Orleans who would never really would never visit, you know, or might not visit. And maybe they would actually want to visit in real life after they spent time in this uh, French Quarter metaverse. So, you know, from a revenue perspective, you can do historic tours. You can go anywhere. You know, you can um, you can see things from every angle. So that's that that's one of the ways that that project would make money. So I was looking at when I was doing some research. There is, I mean, this is happening all over. This isn't um, obviously. You guys aren't the only ones doing it. And there's a, a lot of really big companies have just made this a part of what they do. Um, what what is the potential that exists here? I, I saw somewhere it could be like a billion trillion dollar industry by 2030 yeah pricewaterhousecoopers did a huge thing on it um in 2019 so pre-covid but essentially about how vr and ar will most likely grow over the next 10 years and i'm obviously very biased and bullish on the industry in general but i believe that xr technology is going to be, and some people call it Web3, like there's a lot of overlap with Web3 uh, and also with, with crypto, which we're not exactly into, but people have been using, Web3 kind of combines XR with crypto to have these decentralized and, and sort of personalized transactions in Web3. But I won't go into that, but I, what I will say <laughs> is I do think I do think XR in general will be a new tech, it will be a new utility rather in the sense of, you know, water, electricity, uh, gas, the internet. I do think that XR will be a new utility in the sense that if you've built a digital twin of your car, um, a digital twin of your house, of, of, of every city, suddenly the efficiencies that can be, you know, that can be gleaned from that are, are tremendous. And so I think, you know, I think in five years, we have an example, one of our AR decks of you pop the hood of your car and you can lens your phone over your car and it'll, it'll give you a, a readout and it will tell you what's going on and it'll tell you how to fix something. You know, I think a little bit that does sound like science fiction to a certain degree, but I do think that will happen very quickly as digital twins of certain things are, are built. So I don't think it's, I think you're going to have something where you buy a lawnmower in three or four years and it'll come with a, an app that has an AR uh, maintenance uh, <laughs> diagram for that that product. So, I think that this technology is is going to be massive. Well, I mean, anything you talk about science fiction, but any anything that we're living in now was at one time <laughs> considered science fiction. So, um, well, no, that, that's why your intro is so good because it's it's so true. There's a great book about the metaverse by an, an author named Matthew Ball recently, and he goes through a lot of what you said in your intro, where a lot of the elements of why XR and the metaverse will exist is because the internet was foreshadowed in the 1930s. 
And these things just take time. And so do I think everyone in 10 years is, is going to be walking around with a VR headset on? I, I really hope not. Um, but if you look at, it's not like this, this stuff has been around for a long time conceptually. It's about, uh, you know, the technology and obviously Moore's law of, of things get faster, better, and cheaper. That has caught up with things to allow this to be proliferated. But it, yeah, it, it, it's not like it just came about yesterday, as you said in your intro. I mean, I was surprised, 1968, wow, that's, <laughs> and, I, and I saw some pictures and it does look a lot like what we have today. So it's kind of crazy. Um, so are you guys working with any of the educational institutions like a Delgado thing? Because you're talking about workforce training and all those options there. Yeah, so we've had lots of conversations, right? The only institution that we're working with directly right now that I can talk about is UNO. And we have, we built a prototype of a virtual chemistry lab for UNO because um, they, they came to us with this idea. Matt Tarr at UNO has been a great partner. And a use case, an example for that is that chemistry is the, is the most expensive per capita uh, subject to teach, especially conceptually when there's so many things that are, are taught uh, visually. And so the prototype that we built with UNO was essentially trying to, uh, you know, level the playing field, make that subject more fair um, economically to teach because you often don't have access to lab time. And so the idea was, it, what, what if you could build a virtual reality version where you don't need access to expensive equipment and you could go into a lab and you could pick any element and you could mix it with any other element and you could superheat it to, you know, you can do all those experiments in our, in our virtual reality uh, prototype. Now it's not there yet, but it's a prototype, but that's, that's an example of, of a direct um, educational opportunity that we've, we've had. We've talked with uh, Nunez separately about some of their aerospace programs um, and some of, and some of the workforce training opportunities there. Um, but in the coming months, we will announce a bunch of other things because we're definitely moving in that direction. So the other thing I read was interesting is that some companies were using it like to simulate, like you said, dangerous situations. So like if there is a robbery or if there's a hurricane or if there's like, you can kind of bring those things to life and, and teach people how to react and teach people what to do if there's, you know, it, it was an interesting way of, of doing worker training on things. Yeah, and I think that there's, there's a sort of thing where we build this digital twin of a large plant and you can take someone through that plant in what we call normal operation, or you can take them through in crisis operation and you can program it. So what's interesting is that if you bring someone in every week for 10 weeks, certain weeks, it's just, you can program everything to be, to act normally, but then every eight times or every six times, um, you know, the PSI on this gauge is, is going to be reading something else that's abnormal. So what do you do in that scenario? So because it's all built, getting back to gamified experiences and what we talk about in terms of a video game engine, because you've built it to be completely programmable, this isn't a series of videos that someone's watching. This is like if you were, <laughs> this sounds terrible, I'm just pitching this. But this is almost like if you were on an airplane about to take off and, and every six times um, you actually had to uh, put, put your oxygen mask on. You know, like you might take it more seriously if, if it was actually interactive every, 
every 10 times you run a plane. That, that's like a terrible idea. Um, but but, but they I do think have that pilots, right? Because pilots get, you know, digital training this way and doctors and. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that, and that's the thing. It's like, I think there's so many things that people take for granted in terms of this training video or this and that. But when you put on a virtual reality headset and you look out, there's a part of your lizard brain that's stimulated where you look out over a, uh, if, you, if you're in virtual reality, if you're high up on the side of a building, like you look over the edge of the building, like you really feel, even though you know it's not real, your body does react in that way. That's and awesome. Yeah, well, and I don't know, it kind of reminds me a bit of, I think this is, I don't know if this is an anachronism or this is real, but I think when people saw the great train robbery in 1900, you know, people ran out of the theaters because the train came at the screen and they weren't, they, they hadn't processed the concept of editing uh, because film was so, such a new medium. And, you know, we may be at that stage where people are, are just not accustomed to being on top of a skyscraper in VR and maybe that will get there. But, you know, these things do stimulate your brain in a way that normal uh, just watching a video would not. Well, and... so that gets me off topic, but, but what about, so that makes me think of like therapy. So like if you're afraid of heights or something and you start doing a whole bunch of this VR and you, it, you can kind of desensitize yourself maybe, or like just dealing with those kind of situations in a safe yeah. way. And people, you know, there's still a ton of research. It's fairly new. So I think studies have to, you know, there have to be a lot of them. But the early returns on those, especially for PTSD and for other forms of, of um, therapy, like have been really good and been, have been very promising in terms of what can happen. And I think from, there's been a number of studies, I think Stanford did a study about empathy where, and it's not just being in somebody else's shoes in VR, but that is a huge thing where it's very easy to put someone in a position and put them in somebody else's skin or put somebody else, you know, from their POV in VR that is not, that they wouldn't be in otherwise. And so I see tremendous opportunities for, for therapy and just general learning and understanding and empathy from those things. It sounds like in basically every industry, there'd be something that you could do with this. Yeah, and it's really, we're sort of at that cost benefit ratio inflection point. Because, you know, what, what are the weaknesses of VR? Well, it's clunky and it can be kind of a pain. Um, you know, it's almost a, oh, I have to put on this headset. I have to do this. I have to move around. Um, so right now we're sort of at that inflection point where people are really looking at where this could be valuable. And I think in the next five years, especially once Apple gets into the game with their, uh, whatever their extended reality device, which has not been... Long rumored, but not announced. But once Apple gets into it, I think it's going to be, I think that'll be that next literally iPhone moment step. So like you, you kind of just talked real quick, but what are the limitations? Is that you have like these really, is the headset's really big? It's kind of, where, what are you missing? What do you, what do you want to see going forward? Well, I think it's a few different things. I think that traditionally, what we call PC-based VR 
is so anything augmented reality has mainly been contained to phones. You know, people use augmented reality all you know all the time using Snapchat filters or Instagram filters. Like that's a version of augmented reality. Um, but because it's contained to a phone, things are sort of limited on that side. And then on the other extreme, PC-based VR was always tethered to a computer. So you'd have a VR headset, but the quality would be um, essentially throttled by the quality of how powerful that computer's graphics cards would be. And, and so you'd be literally tethered to this device with an HDMI cord. Um, now, then with Oculus, they, they now owned by Meta, they released the Oculus Quest, which is a $300, uh, $400 now uh, wireless headset. And essentially that, that headset is incredible for what it is, but it's still sort of a uh, Samsung Galaxy phone sort of strapped to your face. Yeah, from a computing perspective, it's very limited in what it can do. And so all those things sort of combined is that you have either a tethered headset that's tethered to an expensive computer, or you have a wireless headset that ha that's fairly low quality, or you have stuff that's on phones. And if you, there are versions, like there's a company called Vario, I think they're from Finland, and they make a headset that is, I think it's like, 12k or 8k in terms of the quality of the resolution and the air force actually does use this for training but that headset costs fifteen thousand dollars whereas and requires a pretty hefty uh computer setup um whereas that might be the all-in price for the entire setup whereas an oculus quest is three hundred dollars but doesn't have the resolution or computing power so I think that's those are some of the issues of all the different types of this of the sphere. And I think another one has been Meta itself. Um, it's Meta has dominated this field, and you know, formerly Facebook, like they've really gone all in on VR. But because I just wish there was two or three other companies that were really doing a lot, so there was more competition. Because yeah. if you had Apple and Amazon also in on it there'd be so many other options besides what Meta is putting out there. So I think that's sort of the other, the other issue is that Meta uh, is sort of dominating it right now. So do you think like, I, of course I'm thinking Star Trek, are we thinking like eventually it's going to be something like a holodeck situation where you don't even have something attached to you and it's the whole environment that changes? And Yeah. I mean, think about your zoom background, right? <laughs> um, no, I think, I think it's going to be eventually, I think it'll be some form of contact lens. I mean, these already, uh, the government's been developing this with, with DARPA, I think for the past five or 10 years, but eventually it'll be some sort of contact lens or glasses or something else where, uh, I think we'll look back at this, this, this age as the age of bad posture because everyone just bends over <laughs> their phone constantly. And I think in the future, everyone will, will stand more upright, but they will be, they will look like they're distracted because they'll just be like, they'll be flicking uh, screens off in front of their face. <laughs> so wow. uh, I think it'll be, it'll, it'll be sort of an interesting era of those two things, but I, I do think it'll be some sort of uh, contact lens or uh, glasses situation. So thoughts on the, the tech industry here in New Orleans. Um, is it, do you see it getting stronger? We obviously we've had some big exits. Um, do you have plans to stay? Yeah, we're we're sort of all in. I mean, I think 
I, I do a lot of film work and do a lot of other things in many different places, but I think from a, like there's nowhere else I'd rather have a tech company right now, especially post COVID than, than New Orleans, because uh, there's so many other larger companies that have come through and have established uh, you know, a base of operations. And so I, I would call us still a small to a medium sized company. And I like sort of operating in that, in that sphere because we still have the the right, like we can still take risks and we can still take on, you know, smaller clients that have big ideas. And, and so I like operating in that space and, you know, there, there's tax credits, is all this different stuff. But at the end of the day, I think the biggest advantage is that the city, the state, um, you know, groups like Geno Inc. There's so many different, different groups that have been tremendously supportive of the tech industry in, in New Orleans, the greater New Orleans area and, and Louisiana. So, you know, really it's a combination of all those things. And having lived in, you know, huge pond, lived in Los Angeles, worked in the film industry there, you're always, there's always someone like way bigger. <laughs> there's always something that's, that's way bigger than what you're doing, even if you're working on a, on a bigger movie. And I think that right now the industry in terms of video games there are a lot bigger companies, but there's still a ton of room if you're a smaller or or medium-sized company. So I think even if, if three people were starting a company today, it would be a great place to start a business. So I'm I'm very excited about it. So what what is your big overarching goal for top right corner? Our big goal is that you know we're a local company. We're we're based in New Orleans. And I want people to know that they might look at XR, they might look at Meta, Mark Zuckerberg, and all this stuff, and just think, okay, this is something that is created in Silicon Valley, uh, and is just completely removed from, you know, from a local business perspective. And I think what we want to do is we want to be here and say, you know, actually, there's, you know, nearly 15 of us here. We're making products that are affecting local businesses that are working with local companies. We're not a Silicon Valley company. We're not based in California. We're not based in Austin. And, you know, we're here. And so I think that is our, our, one of our biggest goals is to work with as many local businesses as possible and really show them what is possible. And in a way that they, I think would find surprisingly cost-effective and affordable um, in terms of what this technology is and where it can go. Awesome. Sounds like a good goal. So how do people keep in touch with you and find out what's going on with Top Right Corner? Yeah, so I would say go to our site. It is fantastically out of date because we're under NDA on so many projects that we're not able able to post about. Um, but no, I think you know you can reach, uh, you can email go at toprightcorner.com or even my last name if you want to get in touch with me directly is Clifton at toprightcorner.com. And you know I think for Top Right Corner in the New Orleans area, you know we want to be the game engine solutions company of the region. So, you know, we want to be the first person and the first company that that people think about when it comes down to how am I going to integrate augmented reality to the STEM program? Or how am I going to, or, or uh, I know Oshner actually has their own sort of VR department now, but how can we partner with this group to bring XR to, to this field? Um, because I think in making games and doing training uh, opportunities. We have a really diverse uh, 
group of work experience now that I think can be applied to any industry. So, you know, my goal is is to scale, you know, a massive business in the New Orleans area and, and hire tons of people and and make one of the oldest cities in the country like the most oddly, you know, tech progressive place. And, you know, I want people to look around in five or 10 years and say, wow, like there's so many uh, tech opportunities here because of some of the work that we've done. Well, it sounds great. And you gave me a perfect segue. So we are, if you haven't seen it, the August issue is out now. And on the cover is Dr. Calvin Mackey with STEM NOLA. And our, our second feature in that article is talking about if you want to get into the tech field, if you want to get into a STEM um, field, there are so many different options right now for training that are a lot cheaper and a lot easier, less time commitment than you would think. Um, so check out our August issue. It's also online at bizneworleans.com. And my coworker, my nine month old is now <laughs> making all the noise. So that's my time. <laughs> we that's, have that's, that's the cue. That's the cue right there. Yep, yep. So um, thank you so much, Dan, for joining us. And we're gonna uh, keep track with top right corner. And I mean, you guys, we need another unicorn. So, hey, go ahead and do we're, that. We're trying, we'll see. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much as well. And thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to another episode of Biz Talks. If you like what you hear each week, don't forget to rate us and leave a comment wherever you listen to your podcasts. And follow us on social media at Biz New Orleans. For more information or to contact us, please visit bizneworleans.com slash biztalks.